Good morning, everybody. You doing okay? We're going to be in uh, Job chapter 42 today, Job chapter 42. And if you're new, if you're you know, just starting this journey with us, um, we have been going through in a six-week series in the book of Job, walking through what it looks like to be broken, to live in that brokenness for a season, waiting on God to mend us. And then finally, we've reached the end here where Job is mended. And we're going to look at what it means for God to mend us. And we started here, and Job was crushed. He lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. And he was about as broken as a man could be. And then God sent him. These, these three friends showed up, and they were a godsend at first because they were there, and they sat with him in silence. And then all of a sudden, after the silence ended, it resulted in an inquisition in which his three friends went back and forth at him about how he had sinned. And Job upheld his integrity, and he said, I have not sinned against God. And then we get to the part after this, after many, 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 many verses, we reach this point in which he is mended in Job chapter 42. And I wanted to start off, when, when we have something bad happens to us, we ask two questions. I mean, have you had anything bad happen to you before? Yeah? When, we, when that happens, we ask two questions. You know, the first one is, why? Why me? Why is this happening to me? Why? Thankfully, praise God, through his revelation in Job and through his revelation in the scriptures, we see some things. First off, if you're not a believer, it's a sign of the judgment that is to come. And you need to know something. Troubles in this life are smoke alarms to you to try to rouse you from your slumber to know that you need to repent and believe. And if you don't, something worse is coming your way. So every time in the life of somebody who is not a believer in Jesus, who's not been born again, every time something bad happens, I want you to know something. It's a smoke alarm going, wake up, danger is close. Now, here's the good news for us believers. Because there is no condemnation for those who love Christ Jesus, we don't ever get judged by sufferings. We've looked at this. What is it? It's either our Father's discipline, our Father's chiseling away at the sin that we still bear, or it's God just showing his glory through our lives and suffering. God is at work in all of it. Not a thing that we go through is arbitrary or small or unimportant. He sees it. He knows it all. But when it happens, when bad things come, what do we say? Why, God? Even if we know these answers, when it's tough, don't you go, why? Why is this happening? Why? Then you know what the second question is after why gets answered? When is this going to be over? right? When? When is this going to be over, God? When are you going to restore? When are, when are we going to see these, pro, these promises come to fulfillment? When? 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 It's like, I don't know, I got this app, okay, that's called Couch to 5K, and it's, it's an app to make you, like, you know, helps you to run, okay? It doesn't help you run, but it helps you get your psychologically ready to run, okay? And there's this thing. It goes in through intervals, okay? And part of the intervals are for a while you walk briskly, they say, okay? And then you get to, and that's for two minutes, and then what happens? You run for two minutes. And then as the app, it continues as the weeks go by, it starts out with you walk for one minute, then you run for three, and then, you walk, then it just gets longer and longer, and before you know it, you're running for 10 minutes. And about minute seven, you're like, oh, my goodness, okay? How am I going to make this through? When is the walking time going to come? And I want to tell you something. That's how some of us are in life right now. Like, when are we going to get a break from all this suffering? We, have, we ask those two questions, right? We ask, why am I going through this tough time? And when is this difficulty going to end? I want you to know something. God does not, he rarely answers those questions completely. Even when we can look back and see in our life, oh, I see what God was doing there. He was probably doing way more than you even knew. We don't, and sometimes when things happen, we don't ever get a reason on this side. Why goes unanswered a lot of the times. When also, and this is, this is going to be kind of a downer. We often don't know when the suffering's going to cease. Not even at all. We don't have it. 
we don't have like a date on there. It's not like the app where it says, you have three minutes left, okay, of running and excruciating pain, okay? No, it's like we don't know when. So when we have those questions, why and when, do you know how God answers them? He answers them not in the ways we would think, but in the way that is good for us. He answers the question, you want to know why you're suffering? You want to know when it will end? I want you to know this. God responds to our why and when with I am and I will. God responds to our why and when with I am and I will. In Job 42, remember at the beginning of the chapter, and we'll start reading here in just a moment. In Job 42, God, Job responds to God after he's spoken to him in a whirlwind, and he says this. The Lord, Job answered the Lord, and he said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is it that hides counsel without knowledge? Then he says this, Therefore, I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me I did not know. Here I will speak, I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Here's what happened. God reveals himself to Job, but do you know how he does it? If we remember, we can look back in the passage. He does not answer all of Job's questions. Do you know what he does? He shows up in a whirlwind. Not as a care bear, not as a hug, not as a gentle pat on the back. He shows up in a whirlwind to speak to Job. And then the next, question, the next thing God says to Job is not, poor Job. Do you know what he says? Put your big boy pants on, Job. You're about to see who I am. That is a loose translation of what it says, okay? And it basically says, are you a man, Job? If you are, get ready. I'm going to ask you some questions. I want to hear your answers. That is not how we want to be responded to, okay? If you had to think about that, when you're going through times of difficulty, do you want somebody to say, put on your big boy pants or your big girl pants, okay? No, but God does because he knows something. He, it's better for you to see who he is than to hear what you want to hear. Let me say that again. It's better for you to see who God is than to hear what you want to hear. And so what we got here is he says, Job, finally, after God reveals himself, and he starts questioning Job, Job, were you there when I created the earth? Job, were you there when I did this? Job, were you there? Did you create this, the Leviathan of the behemoth, the hippopotamus, the crocodile? Were you there, Job? But Job's like, no. Did you give the ostrich the instinct? Did you make that weird, gigantic bird that's in here? Did you make it where it lays its eggs on the ground? And has that, did you do that, Job? No. And he's, Job recognized, I have heard things too wonderful for me. And so God's intention for Job right from the beginning was not, to, not for Job to know why his sufferings happened or when his sufferings were going to end, but he wanted him to know who God was and is. So when we have those questions, why and when, and we're waiting, to be, we're waiting to be restored, and those things cause us to doubt and cause us so much pain. We're asking why and when. I want you to know something. God's not so much concerned about you knowing why or when, but he is concerned about you knowing I am, which is the covenant name for God that Job uses. It's the one Yahweh. It's the one where, where Moses sees God at the burning bush, and he says, who do people say that when I go to tell the people of Israel that God spoke to me, who do I say that you are? And he says, I am that I am. That's the word Yahweh. That's the word here used for Lord. That's the way that Job communicated with this God who keeps promises. It's way more important that you know who God is than you know why your sufferings happen and when your sufferings will end. It's way more important that you know God. And secondly, as to the he just says, I will mend you. And I want to show you something because I want to show you that that happens. And we're going to begin in Job 42, verse 7, and we're going to see the mending hand of God. If you would, read this along with me. Not out loud, okay? I'll read it. You just kind of follow along, okay? I know sometimes that could, that could trip you up. But I'm going to read this, and we're going to do our best to read it in a way that we understand and hopefully won't sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. Job 42, verse 7 says this, After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, 
My anger burns against you, your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job will pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. So God acknowledges that his friends who were, who were correlating all of Job's suffering to his sin, that they were wrong, and he made them offer sacrifice for atonement on this behalf, and then they asked Job to pray for him. And that happens in verse 10. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job, and this is huge, when... He had prayed for his friends. I mentioned this a couple of messages ago, but I want it bears repeating because this is so. Job's mending involved his forgiving of people who had done him dirty. You want to get that? Just take a minute. Full restoration cannot come when we hold bitterness and hate in our heart. We must forgive. We must forgive. It's the power of Jesus here because we know that because he has forgiven us, we can forgive all things because he, he had endured. He knew no sin became sin that we might, know, might be the righteousness of God. That is forgiveness, and that's the basis for our forgiveness. And so for Job to be mended and have his fortune restored, he had to pray for these fools, okay, who would cause him all sorts of trouble. You know, it's bad when someone someone talks against you and, and beats you up in life in general, right? You Nobody likes that. But when you kick someone when they're down, that's just dirty. And these guys, they knew he was down. Homeboy was bald, covered in ashes, had sores, and they were nasty, and he was scraping them with pottery. And they're wanting to tell him he's in the wrong here. They somewhere along the line, these are Job had made some poor life decisions to have these guys as friends, okay? And they show up, and they're giving him the grief, and God said, you're wrong. And then as part of Job's mending, he had to forgive them. I just want to mean that again. When we hold bitterness and hate and anger and, and offense that someone's done in our heart, the person that hurts the most is us, and it might just be the thing hindering you from being fully restored by God. That's tough. I don't know what they did to you. But I know they're still doing it if you're holding on to that bitterness and hate and anger in your heart. And you need to give that to God. And then it goes on. That was free, by the way. That wasn't even, that was like a couple messages ago. It just hits me between the eyes, and I wanted you to just see that. Verse 11. Verse 10, it says, The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So there's a mending that's coming, and the mending is actually greater than what he had before. And so we go on, and it says, verse 11, And then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before, and they ate bread with him in his house, and they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. That word evil should really be translated trouble because the Lord did not bring evil. The Lord brought trouble and, or disaster. The Lord allowed trouble or disaster. He allowed Satan to bring these on Job, Evil is a poor translation of that word. The better word is probably that God brought disaster or let evil come or let trouble come. That the Lord had brought upon him and each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. So his friends come to him and they ask for prayer. Job prays for them and then he begins to get more from God. There's mending starts to happen. And then it happens that all of those all those family members, and if you go back to Job 19, he talks about how his wife, his family, um, his cousins, his brothers, they had all turned his back on him. But what happens? God restores Job to community. And all these people, they show up to eat with him. Eating with somebody shows that the fellowship's restored. And also, it says that each of them brought some gold and some jewelry. It says, going on, it says, and each, in the end of verse 11, it says, and each of them gave him a piece of money of gold. Don't think of this. They weren't paying Job off or anything. This was kind of like, you ever... 
You ever had to make an apology before? Maybe you gentlemen out there have not been as compassionate and kind to your wife. I know this is not you guys, okay? I'm just, I'm projecting myself. And so maybe you were kind of a jerk, and then you, you, you didn't make up for it, and you just kept compounding it, and your foot kept getting farther and farther entrenched in your mouth until it was like down your esophagus quite a bit. And you know you got to get out of this doghouse, okay? You have legitimate concern for your wife now and for your life, okay? And you're going to go, and what are you going to do? You might get that apology gift where you bring the flowers, okay? Now, the flowers, are, this is not like a payoff, okay? This is legitimate, like, I am really sorry, and I bring you this gift of love, okay? And you hope, and she's like, that's so sweet. Baby, I love you. Okay, that's what you're praying for, okay? So what you got here, these people are coming back, and they had forsaken him, and they're bringing the, the gift, and they're saying, Job, I know we ran away when the calamity hit, but we're back, and we're sorry, and here's a token. Here's a token of our, of our, our, our sorry, our sorrow. And then it goes on in verse 12, and then there is a, a list that happens of all the things that are restored, restored. In verse 12, and the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep. That's double what he had before. That's a good thing, okay? Because some of us would think 14,000 sheep sounds like a curse, okay? <laughs> okay, at your house. That would be awful. But this is good. This represents wealth, okay? 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen. That's two. That's yokes or two. And 1,000 female donkeys, Again, these are good things. The restoration of his wealth, they doubled there. And then it also says, and he also had seven sons and three daughters. Now, I want you to know something. He doubled all of the cattle, but you, he only gets the same amount of kids again. I want you to know something. Because Job, I believe, talks about the resurrection and his hope that one day he will stand before God, I believe he has a hope of the resurrection. And I believe he doesn't see those kids as gone. I don't believe he doesn't, he doesn't have a full orb picture of the afterlife because of where he is, the revelation he has received at this point. But now that we know and we can see through eyes of Scripture that have, we've had the full revelation of God in Christ and we had the full revelation of Scripture once handed down, I think we can see now that, that Job's, Job realizes that his kids are alive with God. And so not only that, he says, he, actually his, his fortunes are, though, his, he's got the other ten kids that passed, the seven boys and the three girls, and he's got this new ten kids, seven boys and three girls. And then, this is, a, this is an odd thing, and he called the name of his first daughter, Jemima, and the name of the second, Kezia, and the name of the third, Karen Hapuch, okay? Now, that's not a great last name. I'll go by Karen, okay, but that's the last part. All those names actually mean something. It's also weird. In this particular time period, the women would not have been named at whatsoever. Just, I'm not, I'm not, that's not a value judgment. I hope you hear that. That's just kind of the way things were in this culture. The fact that their names are mentioned, their names basically mean perfume, beautiful. It kind of, one of them kind of means makeup, okay? The one that Karen the last part of that, I don't want to say it again and we get it wrong, the kind of makeup or oil that you would put on. So the idea is this, that God not only blessed Job, he blessed Job's with beautiful daughters, daughters who were probably beautiful on the inside and out because we see that his first family was. And so you want to know that God is just over abundantly blessing Job again. And then in verse 15, it says, and in all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance amongst their brothers, okay? That has a representation of two things. Usually women did not receive any inheritance at this time period. The fact they did shows two things. It shows, number one, that Job was exceedingly wealthy, that he had enough to go around. Secondly, it shows this, that, that Job... He might have, probably because he, where he was living at the time is now modern-day Saudi Arabia. It probably, he was a different culture. Remember, this guy is outside of the people of Israel. 
He knows the God of Israel, but he sees that, and him giving his daughters this inheritance is just a great sign of Job's wealth and love and care and concern, and that his last days are better than his first days. And then he goes on, and he says in verse 16, and after this, Job lived 140 years. This could be translated, he du- they doubled his years, that he was 70 when all this stuff happened, and he lived another 70 years, or he could have lived another 140 years. This is divine blessing, okay? I, I, and I don't know, I, this is something God can do, okay? He can make somebody live that long. And he saw his sons and his sons' sons for four generations, and it says, and Job died an old man full of days. He lived a full life. God restored Job's life. Now, as we think about that, I want you to remember this. We don't know why or when. Job never knew when he was going to be mended. Job never knew why he was afflicted. But he did get to see who God was in the whirlwind. And that was enough for him. He repented. His questions ceased. He forgave his friends. And God restored. And I want to tell you this morning, if you're walking through trial, I want you to know something. I don't know when God will mend you. You don't know when God will mend you. We don't know. Because I want you to think about something actually have a lot of unanswered questions at the end of the book of Job. Let me give you a few of them, okay? The first one is, we got the three friends that get called out by God. There's a fourth guy named Elihu that we talked about, and he was the, the theological student who got mad at everybody and said, all oh, you guys are wrong. Let me tell you how wrong you are, okay? And that, presu- that, that prompted God to be like, everybody shut up. I'm going to talk, okay? And so that's what happened, and we know something. He never gets reprimanded, why? I don't know. If someone tells you they know, they're wrong because it's not in here. We don't know why. Don't we hate that, by the way? Just let that eat at you. Some of you, that you hate that so much. There's going to be more things you're going to hate just a second. What happened to Job's wife? We don't know. She could be the father of, or the father, no. She could be the mother of the new kids, but we don't know. We expressly see her talked about when she tells Job, hey, Job, curse God and die. Love you, okay? She's in, She's out, but we don't know what happened to her. We don't know if she's the mother of the 10 children or if she's gone and Job remarries. We do not know. Going on, we, know, we don't know this. Do you remember the one who prompted most of this? I mean, obviously, God was the one who mentioned Job to Satan, do, you, do we know what happened? Do we hear, we hear anything else about Satan? I want you to get this just for a second. The last mention of Satan was in chapter 2. You don't hear about him again in the whole book. I want you to get this. He's a minor bit character in God's story. He is evil and against the things of God, and he harasses and hurts God's people, and he hates the fame of God, and he hates God. But I want you to know something. God is in control, and he will one day crush Satan completely. He's a minor bit player, but we don't know what happened. Obviously, Satan's put to shame because Job never cursed God. And obviously, it shows that Job had faith and that God was great. And so so Satan gets put out, but we don't ever see him again. There are so many unanswered questions in this. Why are the daughters named in the, in the last part and not in the first? You think some of the, that's going to eat at you all day long. And the answer is not given. It's just not there. So what, is it, what are we trying to say? There are things in life we will not know and we may never know. It may be above our pay grade. It's definitely above our knowledge because in Isaiah 55, God says, as high as the heavens above are, are above you on earth, are as high as my thoughts are. God is so much greater than we are. His thoughts and his thinking is a divine intellect, a supreme intellect that we cannot understand. And so unless he reveals, and we only got what he, was, he revealed, Job never knew why. He just got to see God. Job never knew when. We don't know how long of a period of time these conversations occurred. It could have been over a month. We don't know. 
We, there's a lot of unanswered questions, but the things that you need to know, God has revealed to you, and I want you to know this. The thing you need to know is God. You do not need to know when, and you probably will never know when, and you might not know why. God rarely gives us the answer we want, but listen, children, he has given us what we need to continue pressing on in faith. You hear me, beloved of God? God rarely gives us the answer we want, but he gives us everything we need to continue pressing on in faith. He did not, Job did not know why or when, but he did see the God of truth and promises. He got to see God in the whirlwind. He got to hear him speak. He got to know God, and God restored his fortunes. And we see that. God gave Job a revelation of who he was. That's what he needed to get by. Remember the revelation of Job came how? It came through a whirlwind and he spoke. And he spoke. We, we as believers, you have what you need to, to endure this time when you don't know. You have his word. It's been given to you. It's in a book called the Bible. It is his word delivered through men, and it's exactly what you need. It's, it's, we, go to, we go to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that the word of God is inspired. It's breathed out, and it's profitable so that the man or woman of God will be equipped for every good work. The scriptures, you have everything that we need to press on. We have all the revelation we need to press on. Right now, he gave it to Job, and he gives it to us fully. Secondly, once you know this, he restores, he's given us community. What happened with Job? Remember his three friends that had become kind of his enemies? What happened? He prayed for them, and they're restored to him. All those people that had left him, all of his family and his community, what happened? They come back after his restoration, and they apologize to him, and his community is restored. We have a community that helps us push on. You know what that community is? The church. Get this. As much as you think you can do it on your own, you can't. Let's go take a big old spoonful of you can't, okay, this morning. I can get through this on my own. Nope, that's not how God wired us. He wired his people for community and for the grace and the truth and the accountability that comes in community, for that comfort that comes in community. We talk about Philippians chapter 2. If there's any, uh, any comfort in Christ, we, what do we have to do? We have to be in one accord. Okay, that's not a car. It's not talking about being in a Honda. It's talking about being in one mind. It's Philippians chapter 2. I want you to get this, that God has given us community. To, he's given us what we need. We don't know why or when. In the meantime, we have his word to hold on to, to keep us going. We have his community. And not only that, here's something that Job did not have because this did not come till after Christ is resurrected. We have the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit indwelling each believer, which is a seal. It's a, it's a first fruits. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a promise. It's a sign of a promise that is to come. I, Judson likes to go to Chuck E. Cheese. I've told you about my Chuck E. Cheese stories before, and I want to tell you something. Those tickets that you get, you know what I'm talking about? Those redemption coupons, that is a promise that you can go and, and get something at the end, right? You hold on to those bad boys, and you may hold on to them for a while because you might want the you know, giant inflatable whatever or whatever they're going to charge you 7 billion tickets for. You might hold on to them, but those tickets are a promise. The Spirit of God is a promise that God will fulfill his promises. We have it uniquely because we see it uniquely because we have the new covenant in Christ, and we have the revelation that, like, first, like 2 Corinthians one twenty two says, he has sealed us with his Spirit. So you have everything you need to make it. So I want you to get this. We don't know. I do not know when God will mend you. I know because of his character and his promises that he will mend you. And I want you to get this right. God rarely gives us the answers we want in our sufferings, but he always gives us what we need to press on in faith, trusting him. He has given us his word. He has given us his people, a community, and he has given us his spirit. I don't know when, but we have been getting everything we need to press on. 
I don't know when God will mend you, but I do know this. He will mend your brokenness. Look what happens. Look at the restoration. Job was broken. What does God restore? In verse 11, he, it, verse 10 and 11, his family and friends are restored. Remember, they, Job came and he prayed for his two friends. In the last bit in verse 11 of Job 42, it says this, Then they came to him, all of his brothers and sisters, and all had known him before, and they ate bread with him in his house, and they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that had been brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. There is a, there is a restoration of Job's community. His friends and his family no longer reject him. There is restoration there. Secondly, we see in verse 12, Job's fortunes are restored, his financial fortunes. Verse 12, and the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. God also restored Job's family. Look in verse 13. Just I know we've read it, but I want to reiterate it. He had also seven sons and three daughters. So God restored Job's family. Not only that, in verses 16 and 17, God restored Job's life. Do you remember right after all this happened, the first thing that Job said was, I wish I had never been born. Job was saying, God, please bring me death right now. And God doesn't do that. You know why? He has plans for restoration coming. I want you to get this about life. A lot of us think we could take life in our hands in so many ways. Our government, our federal government thinks that you should be able to take life in your hand if you are a mother and you do not want the child living inside of you. It says that we can snuff that out. That is a violation of, against God. Secondly, we think about that so many people are increasingly seeing older people as burdens, and they want them to be snuffed out. And we're talking, and there's several states that are instituting assisted suicide, and they're talking about euthanasia. And some countries are practicing such things. It could be that your illness, God is working something in it greater than you could ever see. Your pain, your whatever your affliction is, these life, you cannot snuff out life like you own it. You don't. Because Job wanted to die. He didn't take it into his own hands. He entrusted his life to God and said, God, whenever you do. And you know why Job was not taken out of this world? It's because God had plans for restoration for him. You might be, you might be here today hanging on the edge and thinking, my life is amounting to nothing. And you have possibly, in your darkest times, have come to the place where you're thinking, I might take my own life. I want you to know something. Your life does not belong to you. It belongs to God. And I want you to know something. You will hear this. Your restoration and better days are ahead. They're ahead. God, all of these things. He restored community. He restored fortune. He restored family. And he restored life to Job. He restored it. I told you, we don't know why or when. But we do know I am. We know God, and we knew, know that he will because he keeps his promises. And because he keeps his promises, we see in Job, and we see throughout the Scriptures, all these good promises he makes to his people, that God will mend you. He will restore your brokenness. But I cannot tell you. It might be in this life, because he did restore Job's, Job's fortune in this life. But it might not be in this life. It might be in the one to come. This week, ISIS, apparently, as the reports I've heard, they crucified 10 Christian missionaries. They crucified them because they were Christians, obviously, and they hated them. This is radical Islam. Now, I want you to know something. When we look at those people, and they, as they died, they were not restored on this side of earth. And justice may not come to those who did it on this side, but I want you to know something. Their reward in heaven is, is sure, and they're experiencing it now. The prayer of the martyrs, as we see in the book of Revelation, it rises up, and it's a sent to the Most High God. And they ask, how long until you judge and how long till you restore? 
And the Lord says, just a little while. And then finally, at the end of the book of, of the Revelation, what does he say? I know we've hit on this a couple of times in the recent months, but this just I want you to just hear this. Hear me, children. Hear me, God's people. Hear me. Revelation 21, 1 through 4 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And when I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Who's on the throne? God. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I can't tell you why you're going through it, though I can show you in Scripture why other people have. I can't tell you why. I cannot tell you when your brokenness will will be mended. But I can tell you, our God is true. Our God is perfect. Our God is right. Our God keeps his promises. His promises are for our good, and he will come through on them, whether it be in this life or the next. And we have way more time in the next than we do right now, because our life is a vapor. And even if we restores now, all those things will be subject to decay and moth and rust, and we will die and leave them behind, and there is something greater, far more eternal. So I want you to know this. We may not know why. We may not know when, but we know that God will mend his children, whether here or there, whether on this earth or on the new heavens and new earth. God will mend us. So what do we do in the meantime? Well, we don't lose heart. We don't give up. We don't. As Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4, 16-8-3, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. I woke up the other morning and I was, I was in tremendous pain from sleeping. I'm not even sure that happened. I, I guess I was sleeping on my arm, and I couldn't move all day long because of that. So we don't lose heart, as Paul would say, even though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Our suffering is only light and momentary in light of eternity. And then he says this, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We do not lose heart because no matter where you are, your best days are ahead because of the promises of God. There is more before you than there is behind you. You have better days ahead. So what do we do? We fight to not give up. We do not lose heart. We keep going, not because we're tough, but because we have promises and our God is sure and good and he will deliver We don't lose heart, and we don't stop trusting and worshiping. When Job was going in the midst of his trials, he said this phrase in Job 13, 15. He says this, Though he, God, slay me, I will hope in him. You get that? Though he slay me, though he brings these things in my path, though he allows Satan to, to come against me, though he, allow, though he brings into my life trials, though he brings all these things in, me, in my life to, to, to do, do his work, though difficulty comes, though trouble comes my way, I will praise him because he is good. And I am challenging us today. That's great. Go read some of the prophets in the Old Testament, they did, they did some very weird things that God told them to do. 
one of the prophets laid on his side for a really long time, just to kind of prove a point. One of the prophets married a prostitute, Hosea. He's talking about the harlotry of, of, it, of, uh, of Israel. That was kind of a weird. One of the prophets cooked stuff over dung. Can't taste good. Hickory's better, right? Okay, pecan wood. I don't know. Smoke it. Don't smoke it with, with dung, okay? Here's one of the things. Sometimes the prophets did these things because God told them to do, to be a sign and a symbol to the people. And today we have set up our worship service to be a sign and a symbol, a sign that we will not lose heart and that we will trust in God, and a sign also of defiance to our unbelief. And what we're going to do here in a moment, I'm actually going to ask the, the, the band to come back up, is we are going to sing as a sign and a symbol that we trust God. Like, what, whatever we're going through in our life, we trust you. And we're going to sing these songs of hope and trust as a way of saying that we trust you. And not only that, we are going to sing them in the face of all of the troubles that is in your life. Not trying to forget them, but saying to these problems, my God is bigger. My God is sovereign. My God is in control over it. You sing in your storm as a symbol and a sign saying, we believe. We believe that God is in control. We also believe that he has good plans for us, and we sing, we will not lose heart. There's something amazing about this that it's weird that we as Christians get together and sing all the time. Like, you go to any other place, and if you sang a whole bunch, it would be really awkward. Like, they had parent-teacher conferences the other night at the elementary school and all throughout Charleston County. Do you know how weird that would be if everybody sang those? How's your child doing? I don't know. Okay, that would be really weird. There is something that God, God has uniquely wired us, and he's told us to sing our praises to him to sing to him. He uniquely enjoys it. It is uniquely good for our soul. It is, a, it is a unique thing, and it's a way we commune with God and give him our praise. And I ask us, look, we're going to just stand. If you would, just stand. And our band, as a conclusion to this, we're just going to sing and worship God as our conclusion, saying, God, we trust you. In the midst of your storm, sing in faith.
genetic kind You surround and you uphold me And your promises are my delight Your plans are still a prosper You've not forgotten us With a For your glory, even in the valley, you are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good. For your glory, even with the enemies being for evil, you turn it for our good. You turn it for our good. For your glory, even in the valley, you are faithful. His love has endured forever. Because no matter what we're going through, we know that God wins in the end. Amen? That should be enough to hold on right there.
with him forever.